Today's episode is brought to you by the cow lot. As the saying goes, you can tell by looking, it came from the cow lot. Founder Nat Fleming opened the doors to the cow lot in 1952 and coined that phrase on his 30-minute TV show when TV was only on for three hours a day. Nat had a dedication to customer service, quality, and fit, and the store grew to be an icon in Wichita Falls, Texas. Nat retired in his mid-80s and passed away on his cattle ranch in Byers, Texas at the age 97. The cow lot was passed on with his blessing to Glenn Orms. Glenn took the cow lot on the road to horse shows and rodeos all over the western United States. He found that the art of hand-shaping hats was still strong in Texas, but there was a real void in the rest of the United States. The demand was so high, and Glenn's desire was so great to get cowboys what they want, the way they wanted it, that a couple of years ago he started a website called thecowlot.com. They now ship hats all over the U.S., Canada, and Australia. I've been able to experience the quality, fit, and service from the cow lot myself personally. Uh, I can't recommend them enough. Head over to thecowlot.com and get yourself a new hat today and tell them Dan from the Modern Cowboy Podcast sent you. Where are you cowboys and cowgirls at? Hey everybody, this is Dan Hillenbrand and welcome to Modern Cowboy, the podcast for the cowboy lifestyles and businesses around the world. I'm glad you're here, so sit back in your saddle and prepare to be inspired, motivated, educated, and entertained as I interview a new guest each week that embodies the modern cowboy. Hey, welcome to the Modern Cowboy Podcast. Uh, got a guest on today, Benjamin Stutman. He owns a uh, cattle company, and there's a lot of reasons I wanted to talk to him. Uh, let's just start with one of them. Uh, one, I always wanted to own a herd of cattle, and uh, I love eating. Um, I follow a, a high-fat, uh, high-protein, low-carbohydrate diet, so beef is way high on my list of foods I love to eat. And I love to cook and love to grill. My wife and I love to cook and grill together. And so uh, I had seen, uh, seen their company on social media and uh, just wanted to uh, hear their story and see what they had going. So, uh, Benjamin, uh, welcome to the Modern Cowboy Podcast. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. So, yeah, so this uh, – Let's 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 talk about. I'm gonna, there's there's a couple of things I'm gonna I'm gonna really uh, expose my cowboy man card here. You know, um, 
you know, like a lot of guys, they love to talk about how they know how to grill and cook and all that. And, and, you know, I, I do my best and, and, and I enjoy eating what I cook, uh, but there's some I've never really learned. And uh, it's funny. I, I look at it kind of like learning the periodic chart when I was in college, um, where all the cuts of beef come from. <laughs> I, I just never really have, have, uh, have learned that whole thing. I've looked at it tons of times, but uh, I've never really committed it to memory. So um, I'm just, I'm putting that out there uh, for starters, but uh Tell us, tell us about your company, how you got started, and, and uh, go from there. Sure. So I started Paisley's Grass-Fed Beef um, two years ago, a little over two years ago now. Uh, started it because I wanted to be able to provide a really high-end product uh, at extreme competitive price points. So prior to that, I had been in the restaurant business for the last 10 years before that. Um, and really what spurned me to, to get this idea off the ground was I was sick and tired of my meats orders coming in wrong. Uh, and I famously said to myself, as I do a lot, um, screw it, I'll do it myself. How hard can it really be? Right. So... Uh, from that point, I mean, I had grown up around agriculture and in agriculture my entire life. Uh, and so I had that kind of background. Um, so I just kind of meshed both sides of, of the realm when I started this. So we decided to do a grass fed beef, uh, target because of how health conscious and label conscious the consumer is today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew that it was going to be an uphill battle because grass-fed beef usually has somewhat of a negative connotation mm -hmm. because most customers have had a bad experience with it. And, and that has to do a lot with, one, how it's cooked, and two, because of all the health benefits of it. And those two issues kind of coincide. So anyway, so I, I kind of uh, went by the seat of my pants and started this thing made a lot of mistakes along the way, just like everybody else does when they start a business and, um, uh, learn from the bumps and bruises. So, and now, you know, <clears throat> we're processing as many cattle as our packaging facilities can hold. And, uh, every carcass we're processing right now is grading prime or higher based on other types of grading systems. So we're getting, Beautiful marbling throughout our animals, and on a hundred percent grass-fed diet. So now, do you do you do you you own all the cattle that you guys process? Is is that how you do it, or no? So uh, I'm a cattle company with no cows, basically. Okay. So what I do is I live in a really small community in southern Utah, a county called Wayne County, and um, our population of our entire county is about twenty seven hundred people. And, uh, you know, we live in the middle of nowhere. So we're three hours from any major city, hour and a half from any real hospital. Um, and really what, what supports our economy locally is going to be uh, agriculture and tourism. And we're lucky enough to have tourism because to go through the national park chains in Utah from Zion to Bryce to Moab, you have to come through us from Bryce Canyon to Moab and you get to go through Capitol Reef National Park. And so that increases our traffic through our community about 
to roughly 7 million people that come through our community a year. Mm-hmm. So, so we're lucky enough to have that. But in ag, just like anybody in any community knows, it's a tough market, mm-hmm. right? It's the only market where uh, the buyer dictates the price of the commodity. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I wish other markets were like that because if that was the case, I'd buy cars for 20 bucks. Right. <laughs> but uh, uh, when it comes to these guys, it's, it's a tough issue. And as anybody who raises cattle or has been in ag or around ag knows, you're basically working really hard to break even. Right. And so when I looked at that model as well, because I have tons of friends that have been lifelong ranchers, generational ranchers, mm-hmm. right? I, uh, I said to myself the same word again. How hard can it really be? <laughs> so uh, I looked at the grass-fed market and realized that there was a premium for the product. And by cutting out all these middlemen of contract buyers and other packing houses that are, you know, in feedlots and all that other stuff, we can create a, a valuation for an animal that's three to four times the market valuation they would get on, a, on the standard industry. And so I, I knew starting the business, they w- it would be impossible to scale uh, if I had to raise all the cattle myself and be there every day to do chores, et cetera. Right. 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 And as any business owner knows, <clears throat> you can have the best employees in the world and people with the best intentions you can trust and, and, and really care about your business, but they're never going to put the level of standard up to the same par as you, no matter how good they are. <clears throat> right. And so I decided, you know, why don't I reach out to my friends and my community? And why don't we aggregate instead of creating a co-op where everybody has a say, cause that never turns out well, let's go ahead and just pull animals, develop programs, a feed program and everything else. So we can create a more than competitive product across all the beef sectors. So not just in the grass fed beef sector, but also in the commodity beef sector. And let's go ahead and create a product that has a premium price, but isn't priced sky high. Like so many of the grass fed and other, you know, all natural labels Mm -hmm. uh, tend to price the products. And everybody at first, you know, out of 10 friends, eight of them told me I'm absolutely nuts. Right. Like (laughs) good luck. We've seen, seen this happen before. Okay. And two of them said, you know, we all, we always knew you were a special kind of stupid, but somehow it works out. So let's try it. <laughs> so, uh, that's what we did and it's been successful. So, um, that way we have, we're, well, I'm not limited in the number of animals I can pull from. Right. And so at any given time, there's, you know, two to 300 animals we can pull from or put into the program mm-hmm. so we can keep revolving. And I, I control growth. Uh, aggressively because I want to make sure that our commitment to quality of the meats is there at all times. Right. Uh, and, and now that everything we're processing is grading prime or higher, that's one thing I would never want to lose. So I, I, I keep a pretty good finger on that. And I look at every single animal and every, every single carcass and all the, all the cuts from them and see, and, you know, we, we get together as teams of people and we, we discuss and give feedback. So, and that's really um, how it started and where I am right now. So when we're, let's, let's talk about like the, the grading process. You said that there's a couple different ways they grade because we always see, you know, that USDA, whatever, ratings, prime, whatever it is. And, and there's been so much uh, that's gone on here lately with, 
you know, with the cost of beef going up and, and uh, that they import beef from other countries. And I guess we export a lot of beef. How, but how, how does that, how does that grading system work? And, and do you look at like what you're doing as a uh, kind of in disrupting the industry uh, to a certain extent? And, and uh, you know, um, what are your thoughts on that? So my thoughts in terms of grading is, well, let's just walk through that process. The USDA has three grades. It has select, choice, and prime, mm -hmm. right? And that has to do with the percentage of fat on the carcass and the percentage of fat in the grading steak, which is in uh, a cut of the ribeye, mm -hmm. right? And so the big USDA plants, they actually have a machine that they can hook up to it. It shoots lights into it, and it can give you an automatic grade of fat content throughout the carcass mm -hmm. based on that one uh, cut in the rib. So basically a ribeye. Right. Uh, and so, you know, 97% of all animal, oh, no, I'm sorry, only 3% of all animals killed in the United States uh, grade prime. Now, the reason for that is 97% of those animals are being killed for fast food chains, mm -hmm. hamburgers, right? Stuff like that. So they don't ever need to grade really high, right? Mm -hmm. they, they can take some older cow that they're buying off in an auction, which is what keeps, you know, these small auction houses in business, put them in a feedlot for a minute, slaughter them. And that's what you're either eating at McDonald's or Arby's in three to four months. Right. So that's, that's where the majority of the cattle in the U S are, are harvested and sent to. And then you have the whole other realm where most people in, in America are going to go ahead and run a cow calf operation and then contract or sell their calves in the fall or spring, depending on when they calf. Mm -hmm. And those animals are going to go, to a feedlot and whoever bought those animals is going to feed those animals out. And then they usually contract them out then to a packing house. It's usually one of the big three, right? Like Tyson or national beef or JP or uh, JBS. So that's how the, the usual, you know, you hear the term food chain. That's how that usual food chain works. Mm -hmm. Right. And, Tyson and National Beef and JBS are so big, they can flood and not flood the market with either cuts or distribution or whatever else uh, they want to do to really kind of corner pricing Right, is going to be the polite way to put it. But um, from that, that's the way ag has worked for a long time, mm -hmm. almost 100 years now. Uh, you know, the last real big revolution of ag, besides technology and, and tractors and other sorts of implements, really was the financial sector coming together to supplement ag in the 1930s during FDR's uh, Great New Deal. And ever since then, financially, ag has worked very much the same. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it seems like every time I get on Facebook or some sort of other uh, forum, I'm always seeing a friend of mine who, who runs a cow-calf operation or something going, you know, let's investigate these people or how is it fair that, that this group makes this money and the rancher only makes this much profit per animal. And it's usually, in, you know, an obscene difference. Right. Um, and, and they're absolutely right, right? That's what happens when you have too many hands in the pie. And so I always say the same thing, which is if you don't like it, do it yourself. Right. <laughs> uh, and so that's, kind of always been my attitude towards business and then you know how i take new things on or approach things and then you know we all have our strengths and our weaknesses and for a lot of people especially in, in ranching and farming 
their strength is ranching and farming. Maybe it's not going out there and talking to their customers, but uh, you know, that's unfortunately going to be the future of uh, the consumer world when it comes to meats and stuff, especially in a world that is accepting foam meats and all this other stuff as, as normal. Right. So, so the consumer is definitely looking for uh, a story. They're looking for connection. They're looking to understand. They're looking to know their dollar is going to make a difference in something. And if you, if they can believe that they're helping preserve, you know, that image, I, I love, I love how you talk about it in your podcast. You know, this is the modern, modern cowboy podcast. This is your image of, of how it's transformed to today. And I think a lot of people are, would be willing to spend that little extra dollar or so if they think they're preserving a piece of their childhood because they remember watching Westerns with their dad or whatever that, you know, connection happens to be. Right. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the name of the game there. In terms of being a disruptor in the industry, I'm way too small to be a disruptor. So it's, I mean, beef is a multi-billion dollar industry every quarter. So until I start putting numbers like that on the board, which is a long way off, uh, I can't even, can't even think, think of that or even entertain that, that notion. Although it is, it's an interesting concept to think about, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, with, with, uh, guys like you and and other operations doing the same thing, it's, it's, uh, obviously it's a niche, but at some point, uh, at some I don't know, at some point, does it become a, a disruptor or is, is just the mass production and, and just like you said, you know, supplying McDonald's or, you know, Arby's or whatever, um, that's always going to be, uh, you know, a, a, a big primary thing in terms of, of, of you know, beef production, uh, where a smaller well, cor- corner of the market's going to want to, you know, uh, have higher quality beef like, like myself and, and, and others. Sure. Sure. Well, I think it comes down to two things. Um, you know, a scary statistic that was that was worrying me, and I don't remember the number off the top of my head, so I won't quote it. But mm-hmm. a large number—it was over forty uh, percent—of all steakhouse chains in the country were closing a huge number of their doors uh, throughout the U.S. Mm-hmm. And that was because consumers weren't um, going to enough of them. Now, I find that hard to believe because every time that I'm stuck somewhere and I go to a Texas roadhouse, it seems like there's always a 45-minute wait. Right. But um, from from that point, uh, you know, that tells you that there's certain areas of the country that are definitely out of touch with the with how the food system works. Right. And they believe, some, you know, sort of the – misinformation they get about how cattle are raised or how ranching works and everything mm-hmm. else. Right. And, um, I think that turns people off towards wanting to make those kinds of conscious purchases, even though their palate may prefer it mm-hmm. and turns them on once again, cause, cause the consumer today cares about their dollar making a difference. Right. Um, a lot of people are very health conscious. A lot of people want to know that what, what they're buying is good for the environment and that they're not hurting the environment by doing it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that, and that can be seen as simple as, you know, uh, paper bags making a huge return in all the major grocery stores in the U S right. Cause people don't want to use a plastic bag. It doesn't right. cost them anything, but it's just a choice that they choose to make. Right. And so that, that kind of beha- consumer behavior you see dictated all the way back to people's food choices. And I think that's, part of the reason why we've seen such a rise in veganism in the last five years 
mm-hmm. and why we've also seen a rise in the in the faux meat category as well. Right. Because it's easy to lure people over to um, something that's a little different if you still have cookies there. Right. So if you tell them, you know, you don't come be a vegan, but you don't really have to give up beef and they try it and they're sold, then unfortunately we just lost another one. Right, right. So, <laughs> yeah, now they have burgers that even bleed. Which, yeah, you know. I, I've actually I've actually seen that, and 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 my wife she likes the uh, some I mean she likes beef too, but she, she likes to have the uh, whatever I can't remember what they're called the veggie burger or whatever it is, and uh, she got one of those ones. Yeah, there's like a the couple meat. different brands. Yeah, she got one, and she was eating. She couldn't even eat it because it grossed her out because it was actually too rare looking. But anyway, um, that 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 that's not what I'm looking for. <laughs> myself i like yeah. i like uh i like real beef let's talk about the grass-fed thing because I've, I've heard you know some some people will say you know you can't you don't get the same flavor with grass-fed as you do if if you know if they're if they're uh you know fed with you know corn or whatever so just give us give us your your input on that and what what your take is on that because i've seen you i've seen sure. you show you so, show some of your cuts of meat and there's a lot of marbling and stuff in it and i know that's where the flavor comes from correct Yep. Yep. You got it. You got it. So, so there's two reasons why people have issues with grass fed. And this goes back to what I said before. One is cooking it and one is how, you know, the amount of marbling in it. And so let's talk about how a steak cooks on the grill. Okay. You want to put steaks on high heat, right? It's because you want to sear that outside, Okay. but you're not trying to get it cooked, you know, brown all the way through. Right. Unless you want to eat a hockey puck. Um, and so at that point, what's really cooking the inside of the meat, right? Mm-hmm. Um, cause we're obviously not microwaving it. So it's not like it's getting equal penetration throughout of, of, uh, heat energy. Mm-hmm. So what's, what's really cooking that inside. And the answer to that is you have the fat cause fat renders at a much lower temperature than protein does. Okay. And so on a steak that doesn't have high fat content, so a steak if you were to take two identical identical steaks, one would be a select, so very minimal fat content in it, and one would be a prime steak, mm-hmm. one with you know 40, 40% or higher. Mm-hmm. Um, your select steak is not going to cook as fast, and it's also going to not be cooked evenly, right? right. So you're going to go raw, 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 done on the select steak, where on the prime steak that has that higher fat content, you're going to be able to sear those outsides and then go ahead and, and leave it on there for a couple of minutes, pull it, letting it rest because that, remember that you still have that, those juices still cooking on the inside. Right? right. Right. And then when you, when you cut it open, you're going to notice that you have beautiful, um, even cooked meat throughout. Right. Minus your seared outside. Right. And so, and that all has to do with the chemistry of, the fat is basically rendering and cooking the inside of the steak. Okay. And when you pull it off the grill and you let it rest, you're letting that fat kind of stop for almost a visual picture simmering inside. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it's basically pulling all those juices back in. So you're not just losing them on the plate. Right. We've all gone ahead and, and pulled a roast out or, or something and cut right into it and then watch the juices just go all over the cutting board. Right. And the nice thing is, is when you, when you pull a steak and you let it rest versus cutting it right off the grill, you'll notice that difference of the steak, the juices stay in the steak after you let it rest, which makes for a better dining experience to begin with versus 
you know, having a steak that looks really juicy, but is a little dry when you, when you start getting into it, especially if you don't eat it right away. Right. So, so that's the big difference there in terms of the fat content. And so to go back to the grass fed question is most grass fed beef, that's a hundred percent grass fed and finished, which ours is, mm -hmm. does not have the high fat content. And so that's because a lot of people are just free ranging these animals on grass Right. And, you know, crossing their fingers and hoping for the best. Right. Well, if that came to skydiving, there wouldn't be a whole lot of grass fed beef companies around. Right. So, so what we did is the same approach that anybody does. We said, I looked at the industry of, of grass fed, the sub industry of grass fed beef and said, what are the issues and why are the, why do these problems exist? And I identified as people are really just putting these animals out on a hope for and a prayer because they care more about selling the sustainability uh, image than the quality of their product. Right. Right. And which never keeps anyone. And the vegans of all people can tell us that because they had to create fake beef. Right. <laughs> so from that standpoint, um, we looked at the nutritional values of all different types of grasses. And we looked at, there's an association called the American Grass-Fed Beef Association okay. that has a very strict um, guideline of what qualifies as grass-fed beef to them and what doesn't, right? Mm -hmm. What qualifies as, as grass-fed feed and what doesn't. And we've, we've looked at everything that does, and we pulled nutritional data on everything. And we said, okay, what, what can we feed? What can we add so we can get high protein? We can get good carbohydrates. We can get, you know, a well-nutrient-rich diet. Right. And, and, and still meet the grass-fed criteria. Because if you're not going to be competitive with what anybody can get, you're wasting your time. Right? Otherwise, right. I, I'd be better off to go into the film business if you're just going to tell a story to sell, you know, a meager product. Right. So, um from that standpoint, we developed this feed program. I called a bunch of the major universities, Texas A&M, Washington State, Colorado State, and Utah State here locally to us. And I said, what do you guys have for if somebody's going to do a feed program and do it grass-fed, do you guys have any feed data, right? Do you have any nutritional data on different blends of grasses and percentages and stuff? And they go, no, nobody does that. You're crazy, right? What are you, what are you wasting your time for? Just put your cows out on, on the field and, and let, them, let them eat if that's what you're going to do. I said, okay, right, right. whatever works. And um, uh, so, you know, we, we just kind of fumbled through it ourselves. And we found that, you know, the average producer is creating uh, a finished grass-fed carcass in 24 to, to 30 months, uh -huh. which is an insanely long amount of time, right? right? And, and we've figured out how to do it in about 18 to 20 and create a competitive product with all commodity beef. And so to get that kind of beautiful marbling and everything else, just like anything else, you know, when it comes to human health or any kind of health, you've right. got to look at what you're, what you're putting into it. You're going to get out of it. Right. right? And if you choose just to throw it out there in the field, cause you want to just sell the sustainability picture then that's your choice. But we, we decided we wanted to do both. We wanted to create a high uh, end product, by mm -hmm. following that feed program. But we knew that to the consumer, sustainability was also going to be extremely paramount. And so we kind of took the best of both worlds. We had a lot of open pastures 
and we created it so we could feed these animals this feed mix of pure grasses, right? That we're we're mixing together in, in the in the concoction of proportion to get the nutritional needs that we want. Right. And so they have the ability to go out and graze all day long and then if they want to come in and eat hay, then they can out of the manger, right? Right out of the field. So they have the best of both worlds, right? right. So it's not just a feedlot set up and it's not just a free grazing open range set up. It's both. Gotcha. And then when we pull from other animals, they graze, they're out on uh, these, the, my friends of mine that, that have the animals, they go ahead and animals were not pulling directly into the feed program. They're growing up and grazing on uh, BLM and forest service, you know, lands because Utah is over 90 some percent uh, public. Got right. Mm -hmm. So, so that's, that's where that all comes from. And so that's kind of that whole thing in a nutshell. Another negative experience a lot of people have when it comes to cooking grass-fed beef at home is they think they can cook it the same as, you know, uh, identical steak at the store. Right. Now, grass-fed beef is lower in cholesterol, high in omega-3s, mm -hmm. and has some other healthier fat benefits to it. And so, once again, if you have uh, soup versus just water, water will always boil first before a whole big mixture will. Right. 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 And so we, we find that because that fat is healthier and it's not loaded with, with heavy cholesterols and, uh, you know, so saturated of a fat, that the fat renders quicker while you're cooking it. So the cook time is half the time on an identical steak to commodity beef. And really? so we learned very quickly that even though we created a, a competitive product, there was still an educational piece that had to come with that product for the consumer so they had a positive experience. Right. And so, um, yeah, we kind of had to dive into both worlds of uh, cooking and um, food production in order to really start selling stuff in a way that our consumers were able to enjoy to its fullest potential, but not make anything more difficult. Right. Now, do, now, do you have a degree in, in biology or in, uh, in, in ag or anything? or? So... Um, no, no, <laughs> but I, I, I grew up the son of two PhD professors, Okay, not in ag at all, both right. in communications and conflict management. So uh, I didn't win any arguments growing up as a kid. Um, but you but, learned how you learned how you know, to win them though. <laughs> yeah. I don't lose a lot now. Yeah. Um, but regardless of that fact, I, I went to Utah state for one semester and I learned very quickly that I had already done 18 years of college at home. Gotcha. Um, and so, you know, I, I said to my dad, I said, you know, dad, college just isn't for me. I feel, you know, like I'm being held back and there's, there's a lot more to learn. And he goes, well, if you drop out of college, how are you going to afford your mail? <laughs> so that, that was greeted with a lot of, of warmth and understanding. But uh, otherwise, it turned out okay, right? Yeah. So absolutely. Well, you, well, you just you sound uh, you know highly intelligent. So I was wondering, well, maybe he's got a degree in something. You're just you come by it naturally, and then plus you know you got two PhDs for parents, so that always helps. Yeah, I remember I came home with a with a bad grade one time, and they said either they gave us the wrong kid at the hospital, or you're just being lazy. So. <laughs> so so now is it my understanding? Do you guys do you have a restaurant also? 
Yeah. So I just opened a restaurant like 30 days ago. Oh, actually. you're kidding. So in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic, I said, let's open a restaurant. <laughs> yeah. Um, so once again, my friends tell me I'm a special kind of stupid, right? <laughs> right. Uh, so uh, I decided to do it for two reasons. One, a lot of our revenue has had been made through special events, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Because it's one thing to advertise, but when it comes to your consumer product, to get in front of people and let people see, touch, feel, taste it is right. really what sells it. Right. Right. And so um, that's where all of our, you know, 70% of the revenue came from. The, and then another 20% came from wholesale businesses to restaurants. And then another 10% was online sales and, you know, repeat customers. Right. Um, well, when the NBA just said, Hey, we're closing our season because of coronavirus, uh, almost all my special events for the year, uh, canceled within right. 24 hours. Right. And then, you know, about a week later, the health departments in Salt Lake city and other cities that I, uh, supplied shut down all the restaurants. <laughs> so they want all my revenue. Oh my God. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I'm, I'm sitting here going, I have a consumable product that I can't just let sit on a shelf that goes bad. Right. You know, what the hell do I do? Right. And so, you know, when, when this all came about, I was following the news extremely close. Mm -hmm. because I, I realized really quickly, you know, the world's going to completely change from day to day. Right. And so our ability to adapt to that is going to be absolutely paramount if we're going to survive. Because, you know, the statistic is most new businesses go out of business within the first five years. Right. The food business is already hard because, you know, 90% of the people that work in any part of food sales or the food industry is, you know, is where all the used car salesmen went. Right. Um, and, and so it's, it's, it's pretty cutthroat to begin with. Right. Uh, so I said to myself, I'm going to develop a concept. We already know farm to table has been hugely popular and a growing trend for the last eight years. Mm -hmm. We already know people are wanting to know more and more where their food comes from and the story behind it. I've already built this brand that's starting to get good recognition and, and rather than steal momentum from that and try and work two different projects, right. let's just go ahead and open a beef restaurant. Right? right. So I bought a retail freezer. I rented a space and I, I designed uh, a friend of mine came over and he goes, you know, you're crazy. And he's a good friend of mine. We've been friends since middle school. And, um, his family has a construction company locally. Uh -huh. And, um, I said, okay, what do you think about this idea? And he goes, how long have you been building this? And I said, uh, six hours. <laughs> and he goes, you came up with this in six hours. I said, yeah. And he goes, okay. And I go, all right. I said, there's a space. I said, I want to go walk through it with you. And he goes, okay. And he's, a, he just had twins this spring. Uh -huh. So he's half coherent, right? <laughs> you know, half the time and half the time not there because he's, he's lacking sleep because no matter what, there's a chorus of crying in his house. Right. And, um, uh, we walk through the space and I go, okay, what do you think? What do you think is doable? And we kind of walk through some stuff. I had to adjust some, some things from in my mind to, you know, how the real world works mm -hmm. in terms of physics and, and fire code and other lovely stuff like that. Right. And we talked and talked about it. And as soon as I saw, you know, a light at the end of the tunnel for a reopening about mid April, I went to the, to the guy who owned the space and I said, okay, I'll lease it. 
and he just kind of shook his head like, what? You want to lease it? What are you going to do with it? I said, I'm going to put a restaurant in there. And he goes, and you're sure you're going to be able to pay the lease? I said, yeah, I'll be able to pay the lease. So we got into the space and we took it from bare bones space to open in um, 23 days. Man. Did it, did it have any so, uh, kind of improvements in it already? That uh, Nothing. Nothing. All the, you guys had nothing. to do all the TIs was, and everything. <laughs> we did everything, right? We built walls. We ripped walls apart, plumbing, electrical, and all that other kind of stuff, right? Put in, put in a whole kitchen. Um, Man. Added all, all sorts of stuff, but we opened in, in uh, 23 days from Crazy. start to finish. And it was a lot of 2 a.m. nights, right? You know, right. working in the afternoons, trying to still, and still getting everything else done in the process, not just, you know, hitting that 24 hours a day. So, uh, testament one to my, my friends, you know, that are like my friend that's an electrician, my buddy that had the, you know, did most of the general construction, et cetera, because without their talent and support, it would not have been able to get done. Right. But, uh, regardless, we did that because I knew I wanted to be open a week before Memorial day weekend. So we could bang out the bugs and um, be firing on all centers for Memorial Day weekend. And that's what happened. We've been rocking and rolling ever since. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, you said you'd been in the restaurant business 10 years or so before you got into the grass-fed beef business. Uh, What what did you do? Did you manage restaurants or did you own them or what did you do? Yeah, so my family had a restaurant that was rated one of the – top restaurants in the state for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was doing, um, uh, fine dining, high end fine dining. Gotcha. I was wearing a suit seven days a week, uh, you know, for my customers and, and making sure that we were beyond competitive in all aspects. Right. Um, and, and it was, it was great. Right. And then back in last fall, we, we had an interested couple, I moved to our area said they were interested in, in purchasing the, the restaurant. And so, you know, it just worked out. Now I'd love to say that that was timing and foresight, but right. it definitely wasn't. Right. Um, so, but yeah, no. So I did that for six years and then my family had also opened a, a bar and, and restaurant prior to that. And so I ran that and then did both. When we opened that, actually I was only 20, so I wasn't legally allowed in the building. <laughs> but um uh, i still i still operated and managed so uh but yeah yeah so so that was the case and so i did that for uh almost 10 years now yeah so. now you're not very old uh very old guy now are you what how old are you now 29 oh yeah so you're you're a young guy um so some of the some of the pictures I've seen because I've just you know really recently started going through your social media and stuff. There's pictures in here of, of I've seen pictures of you and then I think you were in like the cooler, uh, the new freezer you got or whatever that was I don't know how many degrees below zero. But uh, some of these pictures that is this oh, negative you? ten? Yeah, yeah, negative ten. Yeah, uh, some of these pictures of you uh, horseback is that is that you horseback? Yeah. Some of these yeah. yeah. So did yeah. you were you yeah, so- did you ride and stuff before all this or? What's your background there? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I'll even throw you through a bigger loop. Okay. So I'm originally from Philadelphia is where I was born and, and raised half the time, okay. right? So my, my father was from Philadelphia. Got you. And my parents met both being professors at the University of Utah. 
Gotcha. And on their weekends, they would explore the state and they found this area of Utah that I live in now. And they bought a small piece of property and then um, my father's mother got sick. And so they moved back to Philadelphia to take care of her. Uh, and then they went to go teach at other universities there and then do other things. But I always grew up spending my summer times out here in, in Southern Utah. Mm -hmm. And so from, from as long as I can remember, I've always had a love for that lifestyle and, and you know, the Western lifestyle and everything else. Mm -hmm. So I grew up my summer times working on, on, you know, the, they slowly grew that piece of property as other contiguous pieces came for sale. Right. Um, and uh, I've been fortunate enough to, to grow up that way. And so I always grew up, you know, ranching in the summertime, having to deal with farming, getting to ride, helping, you know, friends push cows and, and, right. and really learning and, and knowing that backside of, of agriculture that a majority of your listeners know and love, right? right? Which is yeah. the whole lifestyle of it. Exactly. And then I always got drugged back kicking and screaming to Philadelphia every September. Right. So, uh, <laughs> You know, but I was the only guy in a high school of probably 3,000 and some people that wore Wranglers and button-up shirts tucked in every day, you know, when a lot of other people wanted to be gangsters and rappers and whatever else. Right. So, it was what it was. Uh, I moved out to Utah right out of high school. Uh, the day I graduated, uh, we I started driving across the country, and um, I've been out here ever since. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I had the ag background and then went, was going to go to school at Utah state for a degree in ag sciences. But like mm -hmm. I said earlier, you know, I've learned really quickly that I had already done 18 years of college. Right. Um, and so, uh, kind of went on my own way. And then I always wanted to come back to the community that I live in now, but once again, it's very small, very limited employment. And so unless you're really going to spearhead something it's very hard to to have that kind of opportunity right and i once again i was lucky enough to that you know my family wanted to go ahead and open that little bar and restaurant and so you know i wasn't very interested in the restaurant industry at that time right and uh uh i just like everything else i jumped in saying how hard can it really be right <laughs> so and so now i'm looking at your now i've really seen uh you know a lot more of of like the restaurant and the foods and stuff. Um, you've got a little Cuban influence in there with some of the, the Cuban meat, uh, meat pies. I, I, I happen to be, a, I'm a big fan of a lot of foods, but I'm a big fan of, of Cuban food too. So um, where's that? Sure. Cuban, so where, where's I'm, that I'm Cuban lucky in, enough. Where's that influence? Sure. So I'm, I'm lucky enough. I'm lucky enough uh, with my old restaurant. Uh, I was able to develop a relationship with a great guy named Adalberto Diaz. And he runs a, a little pastry, eclectic Cuban pastry shop up in Salt Lake City. Mm -hmm. uh, I was having a problem hiring pastry chefs at my restaurant at that time. Mm -hmm. And when I came in and, and said, you know, I really want to up the game of the desserts, they said, well, that's, that just sounds like too much work. Right? We're not interested. I said, okay, well, then I'll, I'll solve this issue. So we dissolved our pastry team. And I went looking for, you know, who everybody would point me to being the best pastry chef in, in my area, in my state. And I was fortunate enough to, to wind up meeting him. And we've known each other now for probably five years. Uh, phenomenal guy. He's on Food Network all the time. Okay. You know, I, I could brag on him for days. But, um, 
that's where that whole influence comes from. And so as I started this company, this grass-fed beef company, Paisley's, mm-hmm. you know, he was a, a great inspiration about some small stuff in the food industry from a pr- production side that I was not aware of because I always been on the uh, sales side of, you know, finishing the products, not creating the raw product. Right. Um, so uh, as we got together, I said, you know, how could you use, how could we come up with some way to, you know, work together and create some sort of, um, joint product. And so he started creating these meat pies. He had been making some meat pies before, and then he started using my product and expanded his meat pie lines. And, you know, when I opened this restaurant, it was a no brainer to, to bring that in. So. Very cool. And so then you, and you've got, you've got your experience, uh, from the restaurant industry. That's where you obviously learned to cook. Yeah. Well, I think I learned to cook like most people do at home and that's by screwing up a lot of stuff really badly. (laughs) Right. 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 Um, which could basically be the summary of my life. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I've always been a trial or error kind of guy. Uh-huh. Um, luckily because of how I was raised, probably I, I retain information a little better than most on a, on a first time basis, right? right. The first time that I see something or read something, I retain it. Um, and, and, so when I'm, if, if you were to go ahead and ask me something randomly, I probably couldn't spew it out. But right. when I'm in, you know, the moment cooking or whatever else, uh, it just kind of comes back. Right. Right. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I always thought the most natural thing that ever felt to me was sitting on top of a horse it was just a natural feeling. It just felt right. Right. There was everything about it just clicked. Right. And then sometimes when I'm cooking it's the same way. So it's kind of nice to find. Yeah, Absolutely. So speaking of being horseback and and just uh, being a cowboy and and, and loving the the lifestyle, do you do you have a favorite uh, brand of cowboy hat? Uh, yeah, I, I wear. Um, I like Saratelli's, mm-hmm. and then I've also just gotten to know um, a gentleman that has a shop in Nevada called Great Basin Hat Works, and he's made a hat or two for me now, and uh, I quite like them. Yeah. So yeah, now, no, I, I like to support small, small brands and companies, right? The, right. Big, the big brands always have enough support, right? And I, and I support the huge brands like resist all and, right. and um, American hat co and stuff like that. I think they, they're, they're great stuff and their mission and their work is phenomenal, but I, I really like to find the people that are doing the same stuff as I am. And anytime that I can bring my business and, and what I do together with them and what they do, uh, is, is a fun, fun time, kind of a fun mesh experience, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. And, and I, I, I know that, I, I know that company too, and, and they do make, make some great hats. I've, I've always been meaning to, to get him on the podcast and I'll have to do that here in the not too distant future. A lot of people I've had on, um, have him build hats and stuff for him. So very cool. Yeah, how, about, how, how about boots? What, uh, you got a favorite brand of boots or? Lou Casey, hand, hands down. There they just go. fit my feet right. Nice. So. How about uh, what, cowboy movies? Favorite Western movie? Ooh, I don't know. Some of the old West. I'm, I'm a details guy, right? So right. a lot of the Westerns have terrible details, especially the old ones. Right. right? Like the editing is bad or, or somebody's lines don't mash up. Right. Uh, 
if you say you don't like the good, the bad, and the ugly, I don't care what realm you're in. Something is is just off to begin with. Um, but uh, when it comes to other westerns, my favorite western would probably have to be Tom Horn with Steve McQueen. You know what? It's finally you're the first person to to. And this is going to be what I've had 114 episodes. It's been two years doing the podcast. You're the first person to say Tom Horn, and and that's that's one of my one of my favorite all time movies. Amazing movie. <laughs> Yeah, amazing movie. And he's one of my favorite actors, right? Yeah, and he yeah. was dying of cancer during that, just like John Wayne was in The Shootist. Yes, yes. And, um, you know, it really came out on the performance. Yep. And it was his last film. Yeah. Right? That was the last film he filmed before he passed away. Yeah. And and just a great, great storytelling thing. You know, the true story of Tom Horn certainly isn't of any innocence when you read about it and in, right. in depth uh, like they like to portray in that film. Right. But, um in terms of just cinema, I really enjoy that film, and I've always been a huge Steve McQueen fan, so definitely Tom Horn. I actually have a signed poster of, of that in my house. Oh, do you really? So, and, yeah, yeah. So hands down, Tom Horn. Very cool, yeah. Hey, so um, with now do you guys do mail order uh, beef and stuff too? How, how, how does that work? Are you just local or? So I, I really, ooh, well, the growth, the growth um, curve in this business has not been a curve. It's been more like Mount Everest. Right. And I've been trying to catch my breath and, and find oxygen along the way to keep up with everything and, and whatnot. Um, so right before the whole coronavirus, or as like my favorite president, Trump says, uh, Kung flu. Right. Hit, <laughs> um, uh we were getting ready to go into the shipping game. Gotcha. And right now I, I took out of state orders and I'm shipping them and I'm finding out really quickly. If I don't ship on Monday or Tuesday, mm -hmm. there's no guarantee that it'll get there within two days. Right. Um, just because some of these companies warehouses are just hit. And I think it's like a lot of places. Um, a lot of people are having issues with employment, not because of COVID, but because right. unemployment benefits are at an all-time high. Right. Right? Which is just asinine to begin with. So, you know, it's, if you make more money sitting at home than you, go, than you do going to work, it's hard to incentivize a lot of these people. Right, right. <laughs> so, so, ship, so shipping becomes an issue, but we're, we're trying to tackle that. And so as, as we start reopening online orders, as we fulfill more of these pre-orders that we took for our processing dates and, April and end of May, mm -hmm. we'll go ahead and, and be shipping nationally, yes. Okay. Best place for people to find you, your website? Absolutely. Paisleys.com, P-A-I-Z-L-E-E-S.com. And then also on Facebook and Instagram at Paisleys, P-A-I-Z-L-E-E-S. And, and we, we talked just briefly before we started recording. Uh, tell me again how you, how you came up with the name Paisleys. Uh, so when I, I developed the concept for the business, I wanted a name that was two syllables or less. I, I tackled it the same way as like naming a dog, right? Right. You don't want to name your dog Aloysius. Otherwise, you know, you're just yelling all day long. Right. Um, and so, uh, I knew I wanted a name that was two syllables or less. I wanted something that was feminine just because it, it adds kind of less of a touch to it. And I think the market's too flooded with brands that try to be over the top macho and lose track of 
what they are. Right. Right. Um, and so uh, I was actually over at a friend's house talking with him, discussing the concept. And his daughter kept coming up to me like little kids do uh-huh. and saying, you know, Uncle Ben, look at this toy. Uncle Ben, looking at that toy. And finally, after she pulled out the whole room, I got a little frustrated for a second and said, you know, Paisley, hang on a second. And I just said, that's it. Right. So, so I so- texted I texted three friends of mine on the East Coast and I said, give me the first three things you think of when you hear the name Paisley. And I spelled it normally. Uh-huh. And they said flowers and fields, both of them, all three of them consistently. So I said, okay, that's, that's got to be the name of the business. So That's a great story. And also you've got something um, uh, now. Do, do you have a, a – um, are, you, are you on the Cowboy Channel at all sometimes with a cooking show? Or? Yeah. Yeah. So, so every Monday I do a Meat Talk Monday on Instagram and Facebook. Okay. Where I cook a new recipe every every Monday. We I also answer questions. I let you people in on what we're doing that day. Sometimes I don't because it's really just a lot of paperwork. Um, and so uh, yeah, every Monday I'm on our Instagram and also on the Cowboy Channel's Instagram. Okay. And uh, cooking new recipes every week, and then you can always find our recipes on at our website and also at thecowboychannel.com. And uh, yeah. We're, that's been a great time and feel free to ju- jump on there and ask us some questions too. And we'll respond to you, uh, live on Instagram. So very cool. Uh, another question, cause there's something else I love is I love, I love knives as well. So what would you have a favorite, uh, chef knife or uh knife for, uh, carbon? My, when it, when it comes to, when it comes to brands of chef's knives, as long as it's a high carbon blade and it's going to hold an edge for mm-hmm. what you're using it for, Right. Um, I really actually prefer the the Japanese vegetable knives, uh, okay. and the name of it's escaping me. I think it starts with a K. Uh, but the reason I like it is because I'm I always seem like I'm poking and prodding stuff with the tips of my knives, so they always go dull. And those right. knives are are a very square, long looking knife, mm-hmm. and they're always super high carbon, so you, they always hold a great edge. And I'm never um, making it dull by using the end of it to, to move stuff around, right? Because once you get once you get going and you have good knife skills, it's just an extension of your hand at that point. Right. Um, so that, that's my personal style. And then I have a, a couple of those in different sizes, small ones for, you know, close, tiny work. And then I, I still use traditional style uh, chef knives and, and butcher knives, et cetera. But when it comes to just cooking in general for an all-purpose knife, that's what I prefer. And are, are those expensive? Uh, no, no, no. You can you can usually find a pretty decent one on Amazon. I want to say for around seventy-five bucks, right? Okay. So, well, you... I'm actually looking up right now what the name of that knife is. And you guys are on Facebook as well, right? Right, Ben? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Facebook. Instagram, Facebook, yeah. Twitter, although Twitter is just a copy of my Instagram and Facebook. So, yep. Yep, yep. Instagram is the big one that I post to. I don't yes. like to talk a lot when it comes to posting stuff or images and stuff. I like it just to be, um, uh, to really just let the, the product speak for itself. Right, gotcha. And then, and, and so, again, the, the town you guys are in, where you uh, where you live, and where your restaurants at. 
Sure. We're located in Torrey, Utah, so T-O-R-R-E-Y. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's located in Wayne County in south central Utah by Capitol Reef National Park. So if you're going to tour the national parks, come on by. Very cool. And another thing, too, that, that you've got that we, we didn't talk about that um, I also uh, uh, am crazy about is jerky. So are you guys – Yeah. You guys make your own jerky? So it's processed forest in our in our packing plant, right? Because everything's got to be um, uh, USDA inspected. Right. Right? So it's not like we're just out here hacking and cooking on the side and then shipping people meat. Right. So everything goes through a USDA plant, which even through the COVID thing has been a little bit of a nightmare. Right. Um, and so from that, uh, we go, they go ahead and develop the jerky for us. We work closely with, you know, developing flavors and, and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's just what we do. But yeah, the jerky is a great seller. We've been focusing more on meats this year, just because it's kind of been the bread and butter of the year. Gotcha. Um, given the circumstances in the beef industry. Right. 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 Exactly. Yeah. So. And so you think you think you'll be back up? Uh, what or you're not sure? Um, being able to to ship uh, beef nationally, and what'd you say? A couple months. We should or we should we should be up by the end of the month. We end should be up month. by the end of June. Okay. So not yeah, not an issue. It's just it's just fulfilling. I can only drive so many hours in a day, right? To, right. to deliver orders, and then where I'm stuck only shipping UPS and FedEx orders on Monday and Tuesday. Right. Um, we, I try not to flood the whole system so we don't like just take up a whole plane. So, so that way we can control it and make sure that the flow is positive and we don't run into any hiccups. So gotcha. that's, that's the goal there. Cool. And then in terms of like, uh, order, order sizes, uh, are, is it, uh, are, are you, you'll have like different packages or is there certain amounts? Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll have, we have, we have different packages that range anywhere from, from 10 pounds to 200 pounds, depending on what you want to get. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, um, those will be different varieties of things, including just ground beef or ground beef and steaks. And, and those packages will be live as soon as, um, we're shipping nationally here at the end of the month. Perfect. So, uh-huh. well, very cool, Ben. Well, Hey man, I, I'll tell you, I, I got an education today. Um, I'm gonna have to listen back, uh, to the episode to, uh, be able to digest a lot of it, pun intended there. Um, but uh, it's good information and uh, appreciate you taking the time to come on. I, I look forward to uh, to uh, trying some of some of your meats as soon as uh, as soon as you guys are back online. And then um, also look forward to, I guess, start watching some of these episodes and learning, uh, improving my cooking skills. So look forward huh. to that too. There you go. Cool, cool. Cool, cool. Well, thank you so much, Dan. I really appreciate the uh, opportunity, and I'm humbled because you have some amazing guests on here that I'm not even in the same league as. Well, so, no, yeah, appreciate you're, you. You're right there. I appreciate you too, and uh, um, we'll uh, we'll look forward to uh, to getting some of that beef just as soon as the soon as things get open back up. You got it. Okay. Thanks for taking the time. You bet. Take care. Hey, don't forget to check out the sponsor of the podcast, The Cow Lot at thecowlot.com. They are all about service, quality, honesty, and integrity, the Western way of life, how you wear it, and how we preserve it. 
Listen to what one of their recent customers had to say. From the moment I met the folks at the cow lot, I felt a part of their family and history. Their old-fashioned personal and customer service and guarantee made me a customer for life. Be sure and check them out and tell them Dan at the Modern Cowboy Podcast sent you. I want to give a big shout-out to my wife, uh, Stephanie. Steph's just she's got a real love for people. And back in 2018, she had an idea. She wanted to start a company where she could find a way to bring hope and encouragement along with giving from the heart to others. After a couple years of just trying to figure out and, and a lot of prayer, she's finally had launched it now, and she kicked it off with uh, with a graphic tee. And this tee's called the Stacy's Tee. It's inspired by uh, her good friend Stacy, who was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. She's a single mom with five kids. So it's a really cool tee. You can go to www.perseveranceu.com, and that's the word perseverance with the letter U at .com. Uh, and you can see the T. The 100% of the profits go to Stacy and her family. There's, there'll, there'll be more of these inspirational teas to come. They'll be named after actual real people that are fighting the fights of life that we all have. I don't know anyone whose lives haven't been affected by cancer or uh, some type of horrific disease or illness. So check that out. And, and if you're able to help, you get a, a great tea. And we just ask that you would keep Stacy and her family in your prayers. Where are you cowboys and cowgirls at? Every Friday afternoon, I hitch up the trailer Saddle up old rock and ice down a cooler I drive that old back road until it ends At the rope and pin We got them rusted out pickups and fancy rigs $20,000 horses, then there's my old stick Although we're all the same the minute we ride in to the roping pen Well, I ain't no play your speed But I give her hell, he never can tell Someday I just might be We'll turn a few steers and we'll tell a few lies Kick back in the saddle and philosophize Most of life's problems Yeah, we're gonna solve them Down at the roping pen Yeah, we don't do it for the money Yeah, we're always broke Just ask Clint what he paid a rope He's lost a dozen wives Half the fingers on his hands To the roping pen And it takes a little skill And a little luck If you can talk smack You can back it up Oh, but we're all friends No matter who wins Down at the roping pen Someday I just might be We'll 
turn another pair of steers Tell a few more lies Drink another beer And hypothesize Most of life's problems By God we're gonna solve them Down at the roping pen We'll see y'all again Next weekend Down at the roping pen Down 